just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. The Ogden Music Festival is taking place May 31st through June 2nd at Fort Buenaventura in Ogden, Utah. The lineup includes Molly Tuttle and Golden Highway, Sarah Jaros, Hayes Carl, Salise, Say She She, Las Cafeteras, Pixie and the Partygrass Boys, and so much more. Other activities include on-site camping, workshops, and a jam camp with headlining artists, yoga, and a kids' zone. Kids 16 and under are free. Go to OFOAM.org to book your tickets. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Governor Spencer Cox has proposed the largest budget in Utah's history. So what's in it? Plus, we have absolutely final election results and some news from the county council and our picks of the week. Executive producer Emily Means joins me. It is Friday, December 8th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Welcome, Emily Means. We have so much business today, but before we get there, I have breaking news for you. Ali Vallarta, hit me. According to HVAC Gnome, Salt Lake what? is the number 21 best city to own a fireplace. <laughs> Who is HVAC Gnome? I don't know, but I know you and I always laugh about these because when you work in media, you get these press releases constantly that are like, Salt Lake's the best for this, the worst for that. Like, yeah. they're kind of, they're basically how private companies promote themselves, like Wallet Hub or Zillow or whatever, is by like coming up with these listicles and doing their own research. Some company called HVAC Gnome has said that we are the number 21 best city to own a fireplace. Oh, yeah? Based on what? <laughs> well, they had actually like all these metrics, like the number of like Google searches about fireplaces or like whatever. <laughs> We're fifth in the nation for number of fireplace equipment stores, probably because our air quality is so uh, terrible. Uh, well, in part because of the fireplaces, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's a chicken or egg situation. Huh. Anyway, I thought that was hysterical. Wow, that is a really fun fact. Thanks, yeah. Allie. <laughs> Breaking news, number 21 for fireplaces. Wow. That's right. If you learn nothing else today. Yeah. Put it on the license plate. That's right. But you will learn a lot today, dear listener, because we have a boatload of news and city business and information. And to start the 2023 election is officially over. And by that, I mean, it has been certified. We are done. We're Thank not counting ballots anymore. God. Rip down your yard sign. Throw it in your fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Good point, Allie. Please take down your yard signs. <laughs> Please. Like... It's triggering for all of us. Yeah. Um, Salt Lake City Council met Tuesday as the board of canvassers to certify the election results. And it's official. Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall is going to be mayor again. She won with 58% of the vote, and that's that. It didn't even have to go to a round two of balloting because it was a ranked choice ballot because she had such a commanding lead. She immediately took more than 50% of votes. People in her camp are calling it a mandate. 
I am really curious what the mayor's vision is for the next four years. And we're going to find out in January. That's when she said she will kind of lay that framework for us as residents. It's also when she usually gives her state of the city. So I don't know if they're going to be two separate announcements or if it's going to be rolled up into one. But certainly we'll be hearing from her in the new year. Let's talk about the council. Yeah. You first. Okay. Well, uh, let's roll through them. District 2, which is basically the west side, Alepui, uncontested, mm-hmm. so one. Not much to say there. District 4, which is downtown, a little bit of kind of like near the University of Utah. Um, Eva Lopez, the incumbent, Ana Valdemoros lost her seat. Eva Lopez will be our new council member. Uh, she won with 54% of the vote. In the second round. This race was decided... By 327 votes. Like, just to note, turnout in this election was abysmal. People did not vote enthusiastically. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. we'll have a new council member representing downtown. That is the district where we are seeing the homelessness crisis sort of peaking. It's where we're seeing a ton of development and new housing being built. It's where we're seeing a lot of, like, zoning changes. It's all happening. It's all happening downtown. I'm a downtown resident, so, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this race. And in a video on Councilmember Valdemoros's Instagram, uh, she said she was really grateful for the opportunity to serve and to be the first Latina on the city council when she took office in 2019. And to see that legacy continued in uh, her successor, Ava Lopez Chavez. Classy. Love to see it. Okay, and then District 6, this is the East Bench that is Councilmember Dan Dugan's district, and it will continue to be Councilmember Dan Dugan's district. He beat his challenger, Tamor Semnani, uh, with 56% of the vote in the second round of ranked choice voting. And that felt like it was really a referendum on zoning changes in the city as well. Like, the message here is maybe the East Bench is open to embracing a little bit more density. It's something that Dan Dugan has asked for of his constituents, some gentle density. Tamar Samnani, his main challenger, was very, very vehemently opposed to that, and he lost. So go to work, Dan. Yeah, more <laughs> speed bumps. No. Yeah. Speaking of which, District 7, Sugar House... That was a tight one. Sarah Young, who we've had on this show before, she was the incumbent. She won with 52%, probably the closest of the city council races. And she is already at work because, man, that Sugar House Community Council meeting on Wednesday night where they were developers were presenting to the neighborhood a proposal to replace the Wells Fargo building on the corner of 21st. And what is that, Highland? I think or it's about Highland. Yeah, 11th East. Yeah. To replace that building with a 20-story People are using the term high rise. I don't think 20 stories is a high rise. I think it's tall, but it's yeah. not a skyscraper. Or sorry, it's a high rise. It's not a skyscraper. Right. A skyscraper has like a very specific definition, which I can't remember at this moment in time. I think it's like 490 feet or something. But, you know, big for Sugar House, right? Tall for Sugar House. Certainly would be a paradigm shift in what that neighborhood looks and feels like and what the next century of Sugar House is going to look and feel like. So it's a hot topic. People have a reason to have big feelings about it. But if you're council member Sarah Young, you woke up the morning after your election results being certified and your inbox is probably flooded. <laughs> and actually, she said that herself. Yeah, <laughs> so. she, I, she was at the meeting, right? So already yeah. 
getting to work. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, there are two other kind of things that have delighted me in the election that I do want to bring mm. up. South Salt Lake City Council, which just a few years ago elected its first person of color to the council, which is really interesting to me because South Salt Lake is one of the more diverse cities in our state. Like it's a very diverse community, um, is now one of the most diverse councils in the state. It has oh two God. young black members. And I think that's really exciting and really interesting for South Salt Lake. I mean, they're taking up a lot of issues related to as well development and zoning and what the future of that city looks like. And so that was like a, a really interesting result of this election. The other thing that has surprised and delighted me is incumbent mayor of West Jordan, Dirk Burton, has taken 60% of the vote. And that means that for the first time in 46 years, West Jordan has reelected a mayor. Yeah. Yeah. 60% of the vote? That's huge. Right. They reelected him in a commanding way. And I'm just like, Wow, you guys, are you getting out of your grumpy, disgruntled era yeah. and into your like satisfactory era? <laughs> they really like this guy. And I love that for them. <laughs> well, also abysmal turnout there. So I don't know how much they like him, but they certainly are tired of having a new mayor every four years. And I can't blame them. Yeah, that's fair. That That's exhausting. So all yeah. of these uh, newly elected office holders, as well as those who've been reelected, they will take office at the beginning of January. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to present the class of 2023. Yay! <laughs> Woo! Class of 2024. As we go on. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. I no, because they're know. graduating now. I guess so. <laughs> These are the important conversations yeah. we should be having. <laughs> this is where the real punditry lies. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. 
If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. All right, Emily, the top story this week is that Governor Spencer Cox has proposed the largest state budget in Utah history. Governor Spendy McSpenderson, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Governor Spender Cox. Hey, big spender. Good thing we like public education. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Allie, it feels like the new budget should be the biggest budget every year for the state, right? Hello, like like 8% inflation in the past few years. Absolutely, that thing should be going up. And the rate at which we're growing as a state, it just makes sense to me. But it it is a big budget, $29.5 billion Mm -hmm. of your taxpayer dollars. And he announced his budget proposal in West Haven, Utah. Allie, do you know where West Haven, Utah is? No. It is west of Ogden. Uh, And he made this announcement in the middle of a neighborhood street. (laughs) I don't know if you saw the the photos from this or the video. It was kind of funny to me, but but he did it for a reason. And we'll get into that in just a minute. And I just want to remind folks that Governor Spencer Cox proposes the budget, right? This is Mm -hmm. his constitutional duty to propose a budget. But it's the legislature who finalizes it. And this is very similar to how city and county budgets work as well, right? The mayor Mm -hmm. proposes a budget, the city or county council says, okay, we like this, we like that, whatever. And then they say, okay, this is the final budget. Well, and the Utah legislature has a history of ignoring the governor's wishes. So that is also important context as we talk through some of these dream scenarios. Right, good point, Allie. And one thing that I, I guess I just didn't think about until this budget season is, Governor Cox can actually veto line items in the budget that the legislature finalizes. And he has done this in the past. So, you know, he has. there's a little bit of check and balance there. But uh, again, we'll remind folks, the legislature has a supermajority, supermajority Republican makeup. And if they wanted to, they could overturn Governor Cox's veto. Sometimes it does feel like it's we the people of Utah versus the Utah legislature when it comes to basically anything. And I've been thinking a lot about how, like, I just now am complicit in messaging this budget as like, it's so big. Oh, my God, it's $29.5 billion. It's so much money. And like, I want to stop myself because I'm like, oh, God, that is the kind of exact thing that the Utah legislature would hook into and be Mm. like, we will not be the legislature that passes the biggest budget in Utah history. Like, I'm like, if I'm the governor, I see those headlines and I'm like, no, no, no. Mm, Interesting, (laughs) Allie. Interesting. Well, let's dig into some of the details of this budget. And, you know, to the reason why Governor Spencer Cox held this press conference in the middle of a neighborhood street in a suburb. Yeah, pray tell. Pray tell. A big ticket item in this budget proposal is this starter homes program. $150 Mm -hmm. million for Starter homes and this goal to build 35,000 of them by 2028. And so I guess this neighborhood is kind of reflective of what's possible, you know. Oh, yeah, it's all all coming around. It's all coming around. Um, But Governor Cox called housing unaffordability the single greatest threat 
to our future prosperity. And I like to hear that from him. I do too. And I will say the lens with which they're viewing this housing crisis in announcing this Utah First Homes program is that the issue is not supply, it's cost. And I think that is really interesting messaging to be, you know, quote unquote, trickling down from the governor's office. Um, I did also see Lieutenant Governor Henderson had a quote that said, we need more starter homes so our kids and grandkids can share in the American dream. And I was like, honey, we need more starter homes so that I can share in the American. I'm childless and I'm currently alive. (laughs) (laughs) This is not about 40 years from now. This is a right now crisis, like Mm. 2028, like, I love it. I love the energy. I need more urgency than that. Mm. 2028. When I saw that, I was like, that's a quick turnaround, my friends. But luckily, Allie, the entire legislature is made up of real estate developers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you see that one of the tenants of the proposal is that they're going to hire a housing innovation advisor? And I was like, oh, congratulations, Clark Ivory. <laughs> oh, OK, OK. But but who that advisor is, we now know, is former representative Steve Waldrip. And mm-hmm. this guy resigned from the legislature, I think, just a couple years ago, stepped down for some reason or other. He ran a lot of affordable housing bills while he was in the legislature. So hopefully he brings some good expertise to this position that sets us in the right direction. Yep. And Taylor Anderson, editor of Building Salt Lake, tweeted at the governor, which may be the best way to reach him, to be honest. He's on Twitter a lot. And said, Governor, I'm looking through this and wondering if you are calling for local municipalities to change their zoning to allow for more starter homes. Like, as in not just building out into the far reaches of Harriman, pushing into the Ochre Range, but like embracing density is the subtext there. And the governor wrote back, yes. And I think he put a period after it. (laughs) (laughs) We love that quick response from our elected officials. Well, Ali, I mean, are we turning a page on how our approach to housing and homelessness in this state? And I wonder this because the day before the governor rolled out his entire budget proposal, he had a presser specifically addressing housing and homelessness. And to me... That sounds like he's prioritizing that. And I want to dig into a little bit more what that homelessness funding proposal includes. $128 million towards emergency shelters. Just emergency shelters, Allie. And I'm sorry I don't have the numbers off the top of my head to compare to previous years, but feels like a lot to me. Feels like a lot to Mm. me. Yeah, I want to dig into this a little bit more because I think one thing that maybe we don't talk about enough when we're talking about budgets, especially the state budget, is Mm. ongoing funding versus one-time funding. And while this $128 million towards emergency shelters seems really exciting, most of it is one-time funding and about $12 million in ongoing funding. And it's not like homelessness is a one-time issue, right? Mm -hmm. It's not... (laughs) It's something that we've been dealing with for years and years and years, and we continue to deal with as a nation. And so I think that it'd be nice to see more ongoing funding for this. But uh, this also included, this funding includes support for additional shelter beds, Allie. And I'm like, where are those going? Right. That's exactly, I was like, so where? 
Right. Who decides where? Statewide? Like statewide shelter beds? Like How does the funding get appropriated? Do cities bid for the sun- the funding? Are cities going to be allocated a certain amount of funding based on like the results of their point in time count? Mm. Which is coming mm-hmm. up here in January? Mm-hmm. Like or you know what I mean, are counties going to be like what does this look like? Cuz again, this is a statewide budget. So it's easy for us as Salt Lakers to be like, "Ooh, millions of dollars for beds in Salt Lake City." We have a homelessness crisis in St. George. We have people who are homeless in Ogden. Like, there are other counties and municipalities that will also need these resources. In Utah County, where there are currently no homeless shelters? One warming shelter? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what happens with that money. Um, There's also some funding for behavioral health services and trying to get more behavioral health professionals into this system. Um, Mm -hmm. So lots to unpack there. The thing about looking through this budget that's so interesting to me, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Salt Lake Tribune reporters, Brian Schott and Emily Anderson Stern, because they did a really nice job looking into this when it was announced and researching some context around a lot of these proposals. But what's interesting about looking through the governor's budget to me is that it almost feels like So many of these line items are a direct response to crises in our state that, like, if you follow the news, you've seen reported on in the past year. Mm -hmm. So, for example, he wants to create these student teacher stipends, basically a pot of money to incentivize student teachers. And that is a response to the fact that we have a teacher shortage, right? Like he wants to expand the child tax credit through age five so that families who have kids currently, it only goes through age three. So if you're a family and you have kids, you know, you can get that little bit of extra money every year for another two years. To me, this feels like his answer to our child care crisis. Not answer, but like him nodding at it, right? A raise for state employees and $15 million for the Department of Corrections. This is the governor saying, I see you that we have a massive staffing crisis in our prisons and it is making everyone unsafe. So it's like to kind of go through it and be like, oh, he even budgeted four lawsuits in response to the state's social media bills because they're anticipated. And it's just like, okay, we're planning. It's very reactionary. And to your point about like how you'd love to see some of this funding be more long term. I would like to see more visionary budgets and less reactionary Mm. budgets. And I think the governor is capable of that. But he also knows that a visionary budget is going to be something that the legislature might be less on board with. Right. Because what's the legislature's vision versus his? Right. Like when he asked for free fare forever, I feel like that was a good example of like kind of laying a vision for the future. And what was the quote from one legislator? Nothing's free. Nothing's free. (laughs) Did we see any funding for public transit fares in this budget? I didn't see it, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he wrote this budget before we got the preferred city for the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Interesting He was like, damn it, I just finished. Can I note just one more thing that I found interesting, Allie? No tax cuts. Yes. No tax cuts proposed in Governor Spencer Cox's budget. The Trib reports Mm -hmm. the state approved $1 billion in tax cuts over the past three years. And the fact that this is not part of Cox's budget this year is mind blowing to me because every single year, Senate President Stuart Adams says every year is the year of the tax cut, right? This is something they really like to message around because, Mm -hmm. you know, who doesn't like a tax cut, Um, Mm -hmm. especially members of a Republican base? So 
I'm curious to see if legislative leadership takes a different approach. This is me speculating, but we got news recently that Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson's office hired a new communications staffer. And I just feel like the governor and the lieutenant governor are preparing to wage a communications, I don't want to say war, but campaign around this. Like, this feels like a little bit like line in the sand. Huh. Like, they are prepared, and I hope they are prepared instead of letting the legislature run rampant with, like, their usual talking points about spending and whatever, whatever, to be like, so you're telling me we shouldn't put aside this funding to build more rural schools? So you're telling me, like, it just feels like they are anticipating, you know what I mean? Because you don't announce the biggest budget in history without a tax cut, and you're the governor, and you're smart without anticipating a bit of a communications battle. I think they're armed. Well, that will make things very interesting. (laughs) And don't forget, he is in an election. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The game is afoot. Before we wrap up on budget talk, because it's so sexy, uh, I just want to say something notable is that the Salt Lake County Council has voted to approve the Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson's proposed budget. We broke this down in a previous episode of the show, which we will link in the show notes for you. It also features no new taxes from the county, a hiring freeze. It is notably a very, very tight budget. Um, the two big highlights that are like cool, fun things that could impact your daily life, Emily Means. Me? Actually, neither of these not, will impact your daily me. life, Emily <laughs> Means. Uh, go stand in the corner while I tell listeners. <laughs> Elimination of library late fees for children and young adult materials. So, I mean, if you are reading kids' books or YA books, great news. If you rent from the county library, no more late fees. Salt Lake City Library got rid of late fees in 2017, but, you know, whatever. Hair flip. And then the one I'm most excited about is free rec center passes for kids 5 through 18. I love our county rec centers. It is where I exercise. I think they are fantastic resources. I love the idea that they will now be free and accessible to people ages 5 through 18. And it's funded with tourism dollars, which is also very appealing to me because when I think about what tourism dollars should be used to invest in in a community, I do think it is community health. And that's that. Epic Brewing is one of the OGs in building Utah's craft beer scene. But I am most excited about their recent adventures in canned cocktails. First, they released the Utah Mule, And as a big fan of ginger, I have been sipping those for almost a year now. But now, this April, we have the Utah Margarita, a delicious, locally fermented blend of real lime and agave. And they create alcohol by fermenting cane sugar instead of using tequila, which means you can buy Utah Margaritas at the grocery store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita or Utah Mule at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's. Or you can visit Epic Brewery on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. They're open seven days a week. And this fall, look out for the Utah Cosmo. Mother's Day is on the horizon, and the good news is that you can find everything you need at Harmon's. Whether it's a little something to brighten mom's day or a memorable spread, here are a few ideas. For breakfast, 
Try Harmon's house-baked cinnamon rolls with freshly squeezed orange juice and a package of fresh-cut strawberries. If you're spicing it up with Bloody Marys, don't forget that Harmon's has an olive bar with over 12 different varieties. Now flowers are the perennial favorite, and you can order online or pop by the store last minute. Shop succulents, potted plants, and elaborate arrangements. May's flower of the month is the hydrangea. Very appropriate. Hydrangeas are fragrant and elegant. And if sweets are in order, Harmon's has added raspberry to their selection of brownie flavors. Find all mom's favorites at your local Harmon's or order online at harmonsgrocery.com. All right, before we get out of here, Emily, let's do pick of the week. You first. Me first. Okay. This week, the lineup for the Kilby block party was announced. Uh, this is happening May 10th through 12th. And mm-hmm. Allie, any guesses as to who's on the lineup? Listen, I've seen it and it's giving dad bod. I won't make I'm you sorry. engage in this game. It, yeah. Listen, this is what my Pandora was playing in 2010 and we were having a great time together. I'll stop there. Vampire Weekend, LCD Sound System, Wu-Tang Clan. And then, of course, the perennial favorites, Death Cab for Cutie. And then the the offshoot of Death Cab for Cutie, Postal Service. So are you going, Allie? Listen, the theme of this episode has been reacting versus laying a vision. This feels like a reactionary lineup. Listen, let me just say, booking is hard. You have to guarantee that your shit will sell out. Like, it is a gamble. And so I understand why booking agents have to react to their audience saying, this is what we show up for and this is what we love. I don't think this lineup looks very deeply into the future for me personally. Like these aren't artists that I'm listening to much of these days. I think people are loving it and they're going to show up hard. Absolutely. I mean, Kilby Block Party this year was like, I don't know, the biggest festival we've ever had in state history. So people will show up. I might even go see Vampire Weekend. We'll see, you know. Can I tell you my dream for the Kilby Block Party? Yeah. It's really fantastical. I think Sundance needs to leave Park City and call it and needs to merge with the Kilby Block Party and be a South by Southwest style festival in Salt Lake City. I think that has to be the future of Sundance. And I think Kilby is building something. They're paving the way here for a perfect opportunity for the two to just merge and like redefine because they're now the two biggest festivals in Salt Lake City. I mean, shout out to Living Traditions, still my fave, but that would be my like, that's my dream. Ali Vallarta. Ideas machine. I'm sick. <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week for you, Emily, is so, so light because we have been talking through municipal and bureaucratic red tape. My pick of the week is two of the greatest actresses of our time, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, the stars of Netflix's May, December, a disturbing watch, um, acting out the fight that two real housewives of Salt Lake got into at a sound bath. Those two real housewives are Monica Garcia and Lisa Barlow. And Emily, I know you're not a real housewives watcher. I love these women. This is Utah on the national stage. Producer Ivana Martinez has a clip queued up for us. Ivana, please roll the clip. Based on my assessment, you don't treat your mother nicely. You do not, Monica. 
You, you don't know about that situation, Lisa. It's not that deep, Monica. Don't make it deep. I want to enjoy the sample. Excuse me. Oh, yes. Go, go ahead. <laughs> old people need it. Monica, Angie is older than me. So is Meredith and so is Heather. Yeah, but you wear it. <laughs> I like to be natural. I don't look like the Pillsbury dough girl. Sorry. Lisa, you're like a little tramp stamp. You go oh. for attention everywhere you go. Oh my God. If this God. is what mediocre looks like, I am so happy being mediocre. <laughs> you're very mediocre. <laughs> you clearly don't get out much and know how to behave in public. You do realize there are several forms of intellectual capabilities in the brain and street smarts is actually number one and you don't have that. And the fact that I do challenges you and you hate it, bitch. Academy Award-winning actors Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore take mm -hmm. on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Wow, Allie, yep. thank you for sharing. Building notoriety for our dear state and city across the globe. So here we are. Thanks, ladies. Emily Means, it's always a joy to end the week with you. Have a fantastic weekend. Have a nice weekend, Allie. See you Monday. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria, with additional music from all the kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this city. And hey, happy first day of Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs>